Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, April 6th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. We speak with Mercedes about the troubling increase in anti-Asian racism across the country, and we look at the possibility of a spring federal election. Next, the rapid increase of COVID-19 variants and the possibility of contracting the virus outdoors. We get the latest with physician and researcher Dr. Iris Gorfinkel. Would a tax credit influence your decision to make your summer travel plans in Alberta instead of elsewhere? We'll hear about a new NDP-backed proposal that would put money back in your pocket for planning a vacation right here in our own province. And finally, do you have a tough time remembering your passwords? We get some high-tech help with the gadget guy Mike Yanni, who breaks down the many password programs available online. Big issues facing us this spring with the surge of variants, some Canadians slipping through the cracks of COVID relief and anti-Asian racism. Mercedes Stevenson is Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block and joins us now with an update. Good morning to you, Mercedes. Good morning. How are you? Good. Uh, Hopefully you had the chance to at least enjoy part of the Easter weekend. I know you're uh, very busy with the West Block, but uh, glad to have you on on a Tuesday morning. Uh, This weekend, you spoke with Minister Mary Ng about anti-Asian sentiment. Uh, How does she think we can address uh, such a complex issue? Well, you know, she basically says it's an issue for, for all Canadians. And there's some really disturbing numbers around this. I mean, the Vancouver police reported a 717% increase in one year over anti-Asian hate incidents. Uh, that's a massive jump. There's a lot of folks, and she was talking about this in the Asian community, uh, especially Asian elders who are, are afraid to go out. These are people who help to build our country. And now uh, they feel like they need pepper spray potentially walking down the street. I'm sure lots of your listeners have seen the attacks that have been carried out. It's just absolutely horrifying. Um, and it's not something they can just introduce a government policy and solve. And, and she really says she thinks this is coming from a place of fear and that the most important thing is for Canadians to talk about it, to be aware that this is in fact happening. And, you know, the that perhaps conversations like the one we're having right now might make people more aware and, and more likely to say something if they see something happening um, that shouldn't be. So it's it's really a, a very sad issue that we even have to talk about this in the first place, but we thought it was important to bring up in light of some of the statistics that we were looking at about what's happening in Canada. It's incredibly important. Agree with you. It's, you know, it's shocking to me. We see it happening elsewhere and you think, oh, we're not like that in Canada. Well, clearly we are and, and we need to stand up and and when we see something as you say make sure that we are doing everything that we can to to stop this in our own country so what what new measures is she considering if any at this point well, she's not really talking much about federal government measures. I mean, it's one of those things where there is legislation that it deal, deals with this in terms of uh, certain crimes are characterized as hate crimes. Uh, and you, you face a different sentencing. You face different penalties if you're convicted of those. Um, the biggest thing she's really calling for is, is just to talk about it like this, to be aware of it. And it was uh, both interesting and sad to me, too, on social media that I saw people saying, why are you talking about racism on oh. Easter Sunday? Um, well, why not? <laughs> Is there a Why bad not? time to talk yeah. about it? Yeah, you, you might be the person who needs to watch this Clearly. interview if you have to ask that question. But it reminded me that there's Canadians who don't think this is real. They think it's something that's being made up by the media. Uh, they're not watching what's happening out there. They're not looking into what those stats are. And that's exactly why we wanted to have this conversation. Uh, because racism is a part of, of politics. And it is serious. And it's not a left or a right issue mm-hmm. at all. It's about all Canadians. And, um, you know, 
know, I think Mary said it well. Euclidean uh, live in a society where we, we want to be proud of all of this, and, and we are, but we have to be aware of what's actually happening in order to take it on. And this is real. It is happening here. Well, let's uh, switch gears and talk COVID-19, and we're hearing about the lockdowns in a handful of provinces across the nation. Still, uh, we don't have any, when I say lockdown, you know, increased restrictions here in the province of Alberta quite yet, anticipating that that could be a possibility middle of this week. Uh, But uh, along those lines, we're hearing that some Canadians are falling through the cracks when it comes to COVID relief. What can you tell us about this? Yeah, so we're certainly hearing the possibility of more lockdowns in a lot of different provinces. Um, as you know, here in Ontario, we're technically um, in. It's gotten the terms have gotten really confusing. Yes. Uh, lockdown. Yeah, yeah. We're lockdown, although that does not mean there is a stay-at-home order. So there's a lot of concern over what's going to happen in terms of the different provinces and all this confusion. And I think there's an interesting conversation to be had, too, around all this about public trust. Uh, There's been a lot of different narratives throughout this, and there hasn't always been recognition that things have changed. You know, that that, uh, there was advice on masks one way. There was advice on whether or not there was human-to-human transmission. There was advice on what's a lockdown, what's a shutdown, what's a stay-at-home order that kept changing. And what I keep hearing just anecdotally from people, and I think we're seeing it in the numbers as well, they're not listening the same way as they were. Um, and so I know public policymakers really feel that the only way to deal with this is to get more vaccines into more people's arms more quickly. And the federal government's trying to do that. They're saying that they're going to get uh, several million uh, Pfizer doses moved up into earlier in the spring and able to get them into people's arms. But uh, the urgency just couldn't be higher because telling people to stay at home doesn't seem to be working anymore. And even in some cases like here in Ontario, I mean, they're not really telling people to stay home. They are, but it's not enforced. Uh, and that's been very, very tough on some of these small businesses and restaurants to say, you know, okay, well, why is it that you can go to your friend's house, but you can't sit in a restaurant six feet from people? And I think that that gap too, well, uh, in policy has, has created a lot of pushback, certainly, at least here in Ontario. I think that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, it, I know everybody is in this, we're in a whole new world here and there's no nothing that we can kind of look back on as advice for, for what we're trying to achieve. But yeah, I mean, it, the, the rules seem to be all over the place and it makes people confused and then frustrated and, and people just don't want to abide anymore. Everybody's fed up at this point. Yeah, and it's, you know, I have a, a good friend who's a rotational worker uh, who was back and forth between PEI and Ottawa and was super confused when when his friend saw that there was lockdowns coming. He said, oh, well, like, do, do we have to go and get groceries because we won't be able to get that? Of course, PEI's had a very different experience than us, um, and this is her first time really sort of being back in Ottawa. And I said, oh, no, no, like, we can still go grocery shopping. None of that changes. That's all normal. But, of course... If the only lockdown you've experienced so far, if you're in the Atlantic provinces, yeah. was one of the first ones, which was a true lockdown, that's still a lockdown. Whereas here in, Al- you know, Ontario or in Alberta, you're like, no, no, the small businesses are open, but not the personal care stuff. And it's just really hard to know what's what. And I think that combined with the frustration that people have um, is a dangerous situation because these variants do transmit more easily. They are more deadly. They do make younger people sick. And they're hitting at a time when people seem to have this kind of pandemic. Pandemic fatigue. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Uh, let's uh, talk now election, uh, perhaps an election. We've been talking, it seems like, even late last year into early this year into 2021 that we could be in for a spring election. And now you have the opportunity to speak with NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, who says the Liberal government wants an election. How prepared is Jagmeet and his team, for example? Well, they don't want one under any circumstances. Um, they say it's irresponsible in a pandemic. This, by the way, creates an interesting democratic situation here in Ottawa because the opposition can only hold the government to account on threat of an election. So if the opposition has said, we won't call an election, um, that gives the government a lot of freedom to maneuver. Mm. But the reality is for the NDP, I mean, they will be ready. I, I can tell you all the parties will be ready. They're getting ready. But it's not ideal for them because uh, there are a few situations there, namely that their fundraising hasn't been great. Um, they're not being painted in a great light right now. They've got this uh, policy convention coming that's got some, you know, kind of uh, very fringe proposals, which, by the way, this happens with every party. There's fringe proposals uh, going into this like getting rid of the military or taxing billionaires at 100%. Um, it's not unusual to see these kinds of strange things, but it's, it's really the NDP is still struggling to get their feet. And it's interesting because Jagmeet Singh has been the leader for quite some time. In fact, he's the second most experienced federal party leader on the Hill now. And when I asked him, you know, sort of repeatedly about their support, he kept insisting more Canadians than ever were supporting the NDP. But that's not what the polls show. And when we told him, you know, like, with all due respect, sir, that is not what the polls show, he said, you know, kind of repeated the line and said, well, the polls aren't relevant. So I don't know where they're getting that more Canadians than ever are supporting them. But this is the claim. I mean, this is also politicians, right? There's the lot they stick to it. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, according to the polls, more Canadians than ever certainly aren't supporting the NDP, particularly um, not at the time when Tom Mulcair was the leader. They became the official opposition. They're nowhere close to those numbers. The last polling I saw had them between 16 and 18 uh, percent. And we saw polling today that the Liberals are moving into majority territory now. Wow. So it's sort of like they've been able yep. to take all these NDP ideas and just make them liberal ideas. Um, so I, the NDP feels they've been helpful that way. And he says that they will continue, Jagmeet Singh, to be there to you know, help develop policy. But it doesn't seem like this is a party that has any intention of ever bringing down the government or any intention of trying to form government at this point. Well, we'll be waiting and seeing and we'll keep checking in with you. Thanks for joining us, Mercedes. Always appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. 811, it's mornings with Sue and Andy. The rise of new, more transmissible variants, vaccination programs focusing on the elderly and coronavirus fatigue are driving the spread among the younger group, according to experts. Right now, we're catching up with Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, a physician and vaccine researcher, to talk all about it. Good morning to you, Dr. Gorfinkel. Good morning, Andrew. Well, we've got these variants we've heard so much about, so I, w- I want to get about uh, go on about the vaccination programs and how, yes, they are indeed uh, geared toward the older set. But when we talk about these different variants, we talk about them being more uh, transmissible, if you will. But are the vaccines as effective, from our knowledge, uh, against these uh, variants? That's the million-dollar question. What we know is this. The vaccines we have, all four, are highly effective against the B117 variant Mm -hmm. first identified in the UK. So why is that a big piece of cheese? It's a big piece of cheese because that's mostly the vast majority of the variants of concern now seen in Alberta and throughout Canada. But that's not the only variant we're keeping an eye on. 
We're keeping an eye on, on two other variants as well. The B1351 variant first identified in South Africa and the P1 variant first identified in Brazil. Now these variants are small, small numbers. Really, they, they're outnumbered almost 200 times by the B117 variant. That's not just in Alberta, it's across Canada. But the issue about these little dark horses is that they, the, they're questionable. Like, how effective are the vaccines? We're not sure. There are studies that demonstrate a lower vaccine efficacy for B1351 and P1. And that's why it's so darn concerning, because what if these really run out of the barn in a big way? They are far more contagious. So that's the big concern about those. Okay, so big concern. What do we do? Do uh, like You know, we're kind of hearing conflicting stories about, you know, we should be outside. It's safer, yet outdoor transmission numbers we're hearing are up. Young people not getting as sick, yet these variants seem to be hitting the young. So what what do we do with all these mixed messages we're hearing? It is confusing, isn't it? Yeah. On the one hand, we used to say, oh, you go outside and you're totally fine. But the thing about it is now we're getting a little more nuanced in the approach. Because these new variants of concern are so much more contagious. Consider this. I think B117 is at least 50% more contagious. P1, we are talking the potential for two and a half times the contagion. Mm. So these things can spread a lot more rapidly. It takes fewer viruses to cause an infection. So, so what is this nuanced approach? The nuanced approach is this. If it's a high-intensity outdoor thing, you're going to, say, a barbecue, and there's a lot of people hanging around. Well, that's the time you want to wear a mask. Say you're taking a walk, and it's a hike, and the great outdoors, and you're passing just the odd person and very quickly. That is highly unlikely to transmit the disease. You know, it's not like one single virus particle is going to cause a person to get sick. It mm-hmm. takes a whole keep of them. But the problem is, can we wear that mask in an outdoor space when it's a high-intensity sort of contact? That's what we're aiming for. You know, Dr. Gorfinkel, we talked about this vaccine and how quickly, within a year, compared to perhaps even a decade, to create a workable vaccine in the past, and we get the global, you know, uh, cooperation on it. Uh, but now we're hearing a lot about the race between the vaccine and the variants. How do you see this working out? I mean, we're talking about over the next couple of months getting millions of more doses on Canadian soil. Uh, how, do you, how do you see the race playing out between the two? Oh, it's a complete race. There's no question. Because even with the variants of concern on the rise, let's, let's focus on Alberta for a second. Mm-hmm. So a month ago, who even know, knew about the variants? And now the variants, just on Monday, there were 50% of the cases, almost all of them were B117. So it is a race because our vaccines are effective against that B117. So the more people we get vaccinated, the sooner we'll get to that golden herd immunity where disease is not spreading in the community nearly at the same rate. And because the variants are so much more contagious, that number has gone up. We used to say, oh, 70% of the population vaccinated were were in the clear. Mm -hmm. Now it's as high as 90% of the the population that has to get vaccinated in order to be in the clear, in order to have that golden herd immunity. So it's not the same as what it used to be. But it is a race, without any doubt. But we're getting there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I would not have believed a year ago that as many Canadians would be vaccinated as they are now. Do you know, as we speak, almost one in five Canadians has been vaccinated. 
That is absolutely incredible. It is great. We're not moving as quickly as the U.S., but darn, we are moving fairly well at this point now. It's really <laughs> ramped up, hasn't it? And before we let you go, just a couple of seconds, but with a Pfizer vaccine trial on children, is this, is this a good thing? It sounds like, you know, 100% success they're hearing. Oh, my gosh. It's so exciting. Consider the kids. We're talking, you know, to those who are under under 19, they, they, they're 20% of Canada's population, so they are critical to get vaccinated. And true, you know, they're, they're less likely to be infected, but they are still infecting other people, especially kids over the age of 10. So that 10 is a magic number. If they're over the age of 10, I think it's because they're taller. And so therefore, and emit more virus. But that's not perfect. Yeah. But that's the thing. That is a yeah. so the the Pfizer trial looked at two thousand two hundred kids. Pretty amazing. Twelve to fifteen, not all kids. Only told twelve to fifteen year olds, and they found a one hundred percent reduction. I mean, how much better can we get? That's than awesome. That? That's yeah. fantastic. If I had marks like that in high school, I wouldn't be working in broadcast. <laughs> uh, thank you uh, so much uh, for your information uh, this morning, Dr. Gorfinkel. It's always a pleasure. Many thanks for having me. Thank you. That is Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, physician and vaccine researcher. 709, it's mornings with Sue and Andy. And about this time, keeping vacation dollars in the province would be a huge boost for the travel industry and for local economies, period. And the NDP is proposing a travel pass that could do just that. We're joined now by Darren Bellis, critic for economic development and innovation, to tell us more about it. Good morning to you, Darren. Good morning. Thank you for taking the time with us. It's funny because we've heard a lot about, you know, vaccine passports, and we don't want to get that in the mix here because this is a travel pass that would, you know, keep us in our own province and keep dollars here. How, how would it work, Darren? Yeah, that's correct. So we know that, that the tourism industry has been hit uh, as one of the hardest industries due to COVID-19. We know every business across the province is suffering, but, but those in the tourism industry have been hit the hardest. And so what we're proposing is a travel uh, pass. In, in, in essence, uh, families would be eligible to get back up to 20% of their travel costs to accommodation, food, uh, activities like museums, recreation, parking expenses, that kind of thing, up to $1,000. Uh, and what this would do is help to incentivize Albertans when they do begin to travel. Um, to uh, to stay here in the province to spend their money in our own communities, because we know that Albertans uh, pre-pandemic spent on average seven billion per year mm. out of province, and so uh, we want to keep uh, Albertans traveling in their own backyard. So, Darren, essentially, this is a rebate. We're, we're getting a rebate of the money we spend as long as we spend it here at home, right? That's correct. That's right. So, and, and 20%. So you get a fifth of your travel costs, your, your, your tourism or, or travel uh, vacation plans uh, being spent here in the province. You get back in your pocket. Uh, and we've seen this, uh, this in other jurisdictions. So New Brunswick actually announced it and immediately uh, saw an uptick in bookings. Ontario is, is bringing in uh, the exact same thing, a, a travel voucher to encourage folks to stay in their province. Uh, and we uh, we feel that this is uh, really going to be a game changer for our Alberta entrepreneurs. So, so what is what are the steps ahead? I know you're proposing it. It's, it's, it's together. We've seen it uh, work in other provinces. What are the hurdles ahead, or what is that process, Darren? <laughs> well, I mean, we're hoping uh, that the uh, the UCP government will uh, will adopt this uh, this idea and uh, and bring it in. 
And the reason that uh, that Rachel Notley uh, announced it uh, last week is because we know that Albertans are looking forward, uh, looking forward to the summer and thinking, you know, people are suffering from cabin fever. They want to, to have some kind of vacation. They know they have to do it safely and responsibly. Um, and we feel that uh, encouraging Albertans to stay here uh, in the province and spend their money in our own communities will be a huge boost uh, to our entrepreneurs, but also to the workers that uh, work in the tourism sector, which is about 127,000 jobs here in the province. So we're encouraging the government to adopt this program and uh, and to, uh, to implement it, signaling to Albertans, make your, your summer travel plans, here in the province. I mean, let's face it, there are a lot of people who just still are not comfortable going elsewhere, nor are we technically supposed to be going elsewhere. So to stay home would make sense anyway. But have you certainly, have you heard any response yet, Darren, from the UCP government in terms of whether they like this, whether they might move forward with it, anything at all? Not as of yet, but uh, but we will be returning to the legislature tomorrow. Uh, last week was a constituency break. And so we'll continue to, to push uh, and put forward ideas like this. Um, you know, offering to them uh, different opportunities to, uh, again, to help Albertans get back up on their feet. And so, uh, again, we're quite excited to put forward this idea. We also know the tourism industry without support is is not um, predicted to recover to pre-pandemic levels until 2024. So we know that as restrictions ease, as vaccines roll out, um, you know, the recovery for the tourism industry is not a light switch. It's not going to just bounce back to what it was. Uh, and so this type of program will help uh, encourage Albertans to uh, to travel here at home first. Darren, what have you heard uh, from the travel industry? Have you spoke with any providers about this and, and their thoughts and feedback? This is definitely one of the ideas that, uh, that folks in the industry are putting forward. Uh, so, uh, again, we've been engaging with, uh, with different industry, uh, both associations and individual uh, businesses who have said, you know, a, a path like this uh, that helps incentivize. Again, it's only covering a fifth of, of the costs for folks, but can be the game changer, the difference between people looking out of province. Uh, we know that many Albertans go to B.C. for their, their summer plans and vacations, mm-hmm. and we're saying... Spend your money here in the province and help your fellow Albertans. Interesting concept for sure. We're going to take it to our listeners, see what they think. Darren, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Appreciate your time. Pleasure. Thank you. That is Darren Billis, critic for economic development and innovation with the uh, opposition uh, NDP government. Excuse me. We, uh, you know, <laughs> get a lot of texts on this already. And as soon as we mention the NDP, we get a lot of texts. Of course. The first one, though, I, I think is awesome. This is from Wally, and we just started talking. Uh, with with Darren Bellis when this came in, where are the beaches and palm <laughs> palm trees in Alberta? Well, there aren't any. Obviously. No, well, there's that. But we're not supposed to be going anywhere where there are beaches there or palm it trees. Is. As Darren said, we spend a lot of us Albertans spend our summers in BC. So how do you get people to stay here in Alberta yep. and spend your money here? And who's paying the rebate? Well, you're getting back money you will have already spent. Yes, that's the rebate. And that's, it's not the government just throwing money not, at you to yeah. stay here. You get uh, back a portion of what you spend if you do stay here and spend your money and here. This, this, but we do have this. I think Rachel means Rachel Notley. Good plan, Rachel. Let's rebate a thousand bucks to someone to vacation in Alberta. Then the people will take that thousand Notley bucks 
and take a second vacation in B.C. Well, I guess you can't stop them, but at least you've had them here spending on their first vacation, which is how they got that rebate because they stayed in the province of Alberta. They spent some bucks here, nevertheless. It's not, I don't know. I don't think it's a too bad of an idea. I think it's it's a start of a conversation anyway, right? Trying to get people to yeah. stay here and support an industry that is being crushed in our province. So let us know what you think. The text line is open, 403-974-8255. You're planning your Alberta vacation as we speak. And would it sweeten the pot if they gave you 20% back? I know personally it would for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it is government money coming back to you that you... Yeah, I get it. Nevertheless, it's thinking and other provinces are doing it. 749, it's mornings with Sue and Andy, and according to a recent study from Newswire.com, the average person has between, get this, 70 and 80 different passwords. From email accounts to online shopping, gaming, and of course banking, it seems like you need a password for basically everything these days. And while being safe and secure is the number one priority, remembering each and every password Mm -hmm. can seem like an impossible task. Well, we've got some high-tech help with us. We're joined by the gadget guy, Mike Yanni. Good morning to you, Mike. Good morning. 70? Is that all? Is that how many passwords we have? I feel like I have like 200. Yeah, you're a tech guy. You know, I want to get this out of the way because I want to make sure people know that they can always search you at Gadget Guy Mike or go to YouTube and search Gadget Guy Mike Yanni. So uh, let's get to the the matter at hand here. Password programs, how many of them are out there and, and how many should we really know about? What are the best ones? Yeah, there are dozens of password managers, and these are becoming more and more popular. And it makes sense, right? Because there's a ton of data breaches out there, and we have so many passwords, and we tend to reuse the same passwords over and over. Do you guys know what the most popular password is? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, seven years in a row. That's is it number really? one. Seven years in a row, despite all that's of the breaches, there's still people are still using that, and password is number two. So that's why we should be using <laughs> things like password managers. Uh, like I said, there's a ton out there. One password uh, with number one, and then password's very popular. NordPass is popular. LastPass was extremely popular because it used to be free, but it went to paid. And that's just the thing. There's so many out there. Some of them they pay for, some of them are free. But basically what they do is you sign up for an account Mm -hmm. and then they create databases of all of the passwords you use on all your different websites. Some of them will even take your credit card information, your license. And then when you go to a a website, whether it's on your smartphone or on your laptop, it will automatically fill in those passwords. The key here is, though, is that you can use those high-security passwords, you know, the ones that look like a bunch of garble on the screen that you would never remember in a million years. You can use those because these programs will always remember what that password is. That's the key. You've got to change your passwords. You can't keep them as one, three, five, six, (laughs) and keep using a password manager because that's not going to help you at all. Okay, so what if I have a password manager, but I lose my password to the password manager? You're in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Bottom line, you're in trouble. And they're they're meant meant to be this way because if you use your password, they cannot help you retrieve that master password. You You create a master password when you sign up for these accounts. That is the key to everything. So you got to keep that one handy because if you don't and you lose it, you actually have to go into every one of your website and web pages and you know basically say forgot my password. Which I do for every, every time account, anyway. Right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. But also it sounds like a lot of the password technology that you're you mentioned and it sounds like it sounds awesome again, as long as you don't lose that master password. But it's kind of slaved to our devices. Is that right? So, for example, if my daughter calls me downstairs on her iPad and said, well, I've got cash, but I want you to put it on your credit card because you're buying this on Amazon or some site. If I were to go on a different device, 
my password wouldn't exactly follow me, would it? So this is where you have to do your research on which actual password manager is right for you. Some of them are very device specific. They work for one device. Some of them will actually go to the cloud and work on numerous devices. But you're right, it does follow you around. Okay. It doesn't necessarily follow your family around. So that's one of the things you do have to look for. Uh, and the difference between the paid and the free, the paid have sometimes more features as well. For example, if there's a data breach of a website, you might get notified. Some of the paid password managers also will scour the dark web and look to see if your passwords are popping mm. up, and you'll actually get notified. Uh, careful with the free ones out there. There are some out there, but some of them aren't necessarily based in countries that are um, have reputable security so some of them will skim information mm. so just make sure you do your research before you sign up especially for those free ones uh, mike yes or no do you do you recommend them do you think it's a, if you do your research find the the right one and you know a reputable one do you think it's a good idea I do. Okay. It's much better than using one, two, three, four, five, six. <laughs> Fair, seven. One, Fair enough. Right. One more quick question here. Somebody wrote in and said, hey, Gadget Guy, what about Google Password Manager? Is that a solid one? Yeah, no, I'm glad you asked. Some of the websites and uh, some of the browsers out there, Safari, Chrome, uh, they actually have some of the password managers built in. And they actually work really well. They may not have all the features. They may not scour the dark web and let you know that it's popped up somewhere. Uh, but those are also great for alternatives. You're looking for one that's a little bit cheaper. Yes or no, I should have all my passwords on my notes section on my phone. No. Okay, thanks. Tempting, Mark. I know, right? I'm just going to go in and delete that then. That's fine. Thanks. <laughs> okay, the good research. We got to do our, our homework, but you can also you know get in touch with Mike and, and help. He's got some research that you can also uh, get that information that you need. Again, he's got a great YouTube channel and you can find him at Gadget Guy Mike. Thank you so much for joining us, Mike. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's Mike Yanni, the Gadget Guy.